You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 14, looking at verses 22 to 33, the title of this message is The Purpose of Storms. The purpose of storms. I'm looking out here now. It looks like something's brewing out here right now. It looks like something's coming. You know, all of us have experienced storms before. We know Hurricane Katrina and the things that happened there. And we know that there's been snowstorms that come through here that shut down the whole East Coast. We've all been in storms, and no one likes to be in the midst of storms because there's devastation, there's a lot of uh, destruction that goes on, and no one likes to be in the storm. But in our minds, we're like, well, why would God allow us to go through spiritual storms? What's the purpose of them? Because, see, we're saying in our minds, I would not allow my child to go through storms. So why would God allow us to go through spiritual storms? Oh, let me help you here. There's many reasons. I'm just going to give us two. Number one, there are storms of correction. There are storms of correction. Oh, we have an example of this. Oh, you remember Jonah, you know, that chicken of the sea. You remember him. (laughs) God told Jonah that, Jonah, I got something for you. He said, what is it, God? You know, I'm your prophet. I'm your man. What is it that you have for me? He said, I need for you to go and preach to the Ninevites. And Jonah was like, who? The, the, the Ninevites. He said, no, I ain't going to the Ninevites. I'm going in the other direction. You have to understand why he wanted to disobey God. Why? Something as unusual as a prophet, a prophet of God, someone who speaks for God to the people, why would he want to disobey God? Why was he so strong in his disobedience to the Lord? Let me tell you why. In 721 B.C., the Assyrians took the 10 northern tribes into captivity. The Assyrians were a cruel people. The things they did to the the people they captured, I can't even say it in a mixed group here. They would put fish hooks in the mouths and the noses of the people that they, they, they captured, and they would drag them off into captivity. Women who were with child, they would cut the babies out, stump them to death, rape the women and children, do unthinkable things. You have to understand that the capital of Assyria is Nineveh. Therefore, when God said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to the Ninevites, now you see why. Jonah said, not me. It's, it's just like if God tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, guess what? I got something for you. Anything you want, Lord. I need you to catch a plane and go over and preach to ISIS. 
See, Jonah didn't want to preach to the Ninevites because he wanted the Ninevites judge. He wanted to see God's judgment and not his mercy. And that's why throughout the book he says, look, God, you, you know, at the end he said, hey, I didn't want to go because I knew you would be a God of mercy. This is why I didn't want, I didn't want to see them get mercy. I want to see them get your wrath, your judgment. In the same way, many of us would not want to go and take a plane over to the Middle East somewhere and preach to ISIS because we want to see them get judged and not shown mercy. This is why Jonah, the Bible says he took, went down and took money and paid a fare to get on the ship to go in the opposite direction to Tarsus. You understand that there's always a price to pay to run from God. There's always a price to pay to be disobedient to the Lord. Jonah paid the price. So there was a storm that brewed up and stirred up and got going. Because as soon as he got on the ship, he went down to the bottom and went to sleep. He said, I'm going in the other direction. The last thing I want to do is go preach to the Ninevites. So you understand the storm kicked up. It was a bad one, too. They tried all in their human strength to try to get this storm to stop and try to roll themselves through, so to speak. And then finally, they said, this, hey, this is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual thing. It says, everyone, call upon your God, and perhaps your God is going to save us from this storm. So the captain makes sure everyone was calling upon their God. He goes down to the bottom, and there's Jonah just laid out. To the wake, O sleeper, call upon your God. Maybe perhaps your God is going to save us. So Jonah wakes up, clear the sleep out of his eyes. He said, storm. He said, no, that storm is because of me. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm running from God. Captain's like, why would you want to do a thing like that? He said, you know, I'm just running and, you know. He said, but, you know, if you throw me overboard, the storm will stop. They said, we're not doing that. Get out of here. We're not going to throw you overboard. All of a sudden, they kept trying. They kept trying to row themselves through, so to speak. And finally, they looked at each other. You get the hands, I get the feet. <laughs> Threw Jonah overboard. Jonah, oh! We just came from sight and sound a couple of days ago and saw Jonah. <laughs> and he said that, that, that a great fish swallowed him up. Wasn't a whale, folks. A great fish swallowed him. And God had to deal with his disobedient prophet. Had to deal with him. In the belly of the fish, he, he, he dealt with his prophet. And, and, and Jonah repented. And all the time he's repenting, that fish is moving and barfed him out on the shores of Nineveh. God said, I told you you were going to Nineveh, didn't he? <laughs> he barfed him out on the shores of Nineveh, and we know, we know the rest of the story from there. So there's storms of protection. Storms of correction, should I say. Now we get to the storms of protection. Number two, storms of protection. 
You say, what do you mean? Well, see, God will allow storms of protection to come into our lives because he's trying to protect us from something that will harm us spiritually. And God will allow a storm to blow in our lives, to blow things, and watch this, and people out of our lives. Because he knows that those things and those people will harm us spiritually. And so therefore, he will allow a storm of protection. This is what I think is happening here in this story. Look what it says there in verse 22. Now, it says, immediately Jesus made his disciples go into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. I want to draw your attention to the phrase, immediately Jesus made. What was so urgent that Jesus made? In a caisson is the Greek word. It means to be to strongly urge or to make or to compel. What was going on to make Jesus compel his disciples to go to the other side? Well, John's gospel give us a little insight. John's gospel tell us in John chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15, it gives us some insights. It says, at this particular time, that they were coming by force to make Jesus king. You, you got to understand this now. Jesus is, is just finished feeding the 5,000. Counting women and children, there are 15 to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And he multiplied to feed 20,000 people. It was the ultimate golden corral, the ultimate buffet. Folks were eating. It was good. They were eating and it was stomachs. They were rubbing, walking around, rubbing their stomach. They were happy. At this time, also, it says that, that, um, uh, that at this time, the disciples were arguing over who was going to be the greatest. So it's like they're about to take Jesus by force, make him king. The disciples are like, oh, look at this. Hey, you know what? I'm going to be greatest. No, 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 no. I'm going to be the greatest. No, no, I'm going to be. The... And all this is going on. Jesus is looking. I, I can just imagine because I would have been like this. And, and, and they're about to come by force and take him to make him king. I always thought that was interesting, to come make Jesus what he already is. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And they were coming to make him king. So it, it, it says that Jesus made them at this point. Now, the, the, the phrase strongly urge also implies that the disciples didn't want to leave. Maybe they didn't want to go without Jesus, but Jesus made them go. Why would Jesus be so adamant about them going? This was a great time. The disciples were like, this is a great time. Why do you want us to leave? This is great. Hey, they're about to make you king and we're your disciples. So we're going to be in charge. I'm going to be the greatest. Jesus, why do you want us to go in the midst of this? Jesus was trying to teach them something. Because see, when you're in a storm, who's thinking about who's the greatest? When you're in a storm, who's thinking about the next house you're going to get? The next car you're going to drive? When you're in the midst of a storm, who's thinking about the things of this life? 
So Jesus had to make them go at this particular time. This was very critical. The second reason why he had to make them go is because he was teaching them a principle that we all are learning today. And it is this, even though you do not see me, I am still with you. And he was teaching them this principle. So he strongly urged them to go to the other side. They're going to this boat. Look what it says there in verse 23. And when he had sent his multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. I want you to look at the phrase in verse 23, by himself to pray. He went up by himself to pray. Jesus made time to pray. Jesus, as busy as Jesus was on this earth, he made time to pray. Oh, I have to ask us, how was your prayer life? If Jesus made time to pray, why do you think we're constantly encouraged? 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Luke 18, 1, men ought to always pray and to not lose heart. I want to draw your attention to the to, to what's named there, men. Oh, it's including women too, of course. But who should lead the way? Men. What does it say that men should lead the way in prayer, but in every prayer meeting, women dominate the prayer meetings? How was your prayer life? You know why I ask? I was talking to a lady before first service. And she said, you know, we get together and pray every, every Sunday morning at 6.30. And she said, oh, it's just normally about two of us or six. She said, it's really packed out if we have 10. And I said, a church this size have two to six people on Sunday morning prayer? Because, see, when I said, how was your prayer life? Everybody was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. Yeah, it's good. Is it? Oh, I can pray at home. Oh, I'm sure you can, and you, you need to. But watch this. Individual prayer empowers you as an individual. Corporate prayer empowers the church corporately. See, you saying, I, pray, I can pray at home. I hope you are praying at home because your home needs it. My home needs it. But corporate prayer empowers the church corporately. How is your prayer life? I want, you to, I want to draw something else to your attention. Also, it says in verse 23, when evening came, he was alone there. The loneliness of prayer. God is constantly trying to get us alone to pray. Jesus practiced this. It says in Mark 135, it says, now early in the morning, having arisen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. I don't know what a long while before daylight is, 2.30, 3, I don't know. But Jesus made time to pray. What does it say about us? If Jesus made time to pray, as busy as he was, what does that have to say about us? Jesus made time to pray. And notice, he prayed alone. There's times to pray with people. 
And there's times to pray alone. God is constantly trying to get us alone. And every time we're alone, we have to fill the silence with a radio or a TV or the young folks with buds in their ears listening to something. They can't. They, so, some people are haunted by the silence. Because the silence reminds them of some regret that they have or something. This is why it's a lot hard for a lot of people to go to sleep. Because when you sleep on your pillow or you're laying there on your pillow just before you go to sleep, now you're stuck there with your thoughts. And God wants to get us alone to minister to us. Jesus often withdrew alone. Jesus told us in Matthew 6, verse 6, he says, hey, don't be like the religious leaders when you pray that stands on the corner and say, oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. He said, when you pray, go into your house, close the door. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. God is constantly calling us to the secret place, the quiet place, that place he can get us alone and speak to us about us. Oh, today we live in a culture where it's everybody else's fault except ours. It's everybody else's fault. Nowadays, you, you have to, quote unquote, lay on someone's couch and it's not, they will not put the blame on you. It's always somebody else's fault. It's not your fault. It's their fault. It's not your fault. It's your dad that was never in your life. It's not your fault. It's your wife. It's not your fault. It's your husband. It's your children. It's everybody else except us. And he constantly wants to draw us away where he says, come, let me, let me talk to you. Let me show you you. Let me show you how you, your attitude this morning towards your children. It was your attitude towards your wife, towards your husband, that coworker. That attitude didn't reflect me. It's, it's, it's as he calls us away that he show, shares these things with us. This is why we constantly get called away. This is why when Moses went up on top of the mountain, he said, you know, Lord, we've been having such, an, such a good time just ministering to one another. and It's been just good. But Lord, I, I have one request. What is it, Moses? He said, let me see your glory. And he says, no, God said, no man can see my face and live. He said, however, let me hide you in the cleft of the rock. So my glory can pass by you. And so the name of the Lord will be glorified. Do you have a cleft of the rock that you can get alone and be with God? Do you have a Gethsemane that you can go to and have your will crushed so you can cry out like Jesus, not my will, but your will be done? Do you have that place or are you so busy you such the big man around that you don't have any time for prayer. Jesus was by himself to pray. Jesus has such a prayer life that one time the disciples said, hey, teach us how to pray. They didn't say teach us how to preach, and he was the greatest preacher who ever lived. He didn't say teach us how to sing. And we do singing in church and we do preaching and teaching in church. But they didn't say teach us how to sing and teach us how to, uh, to preach. They said teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Oh, we preach. We teach. 
we sing, but he didn't say my house should be called a house of singing and a house of teaching. He said my house should be called a house of prayer. What does it say about the church? That the church was birthed in a prayer meeting and prayers rarely seen or attended. What does that say? So here's Jesus withdrawing himself. And it said that when evening came, he was alone there. When evening came, can you still pray when it's evening in your life? When things are dark, can you still pray? I prayed with a lady after second service. She said, you know what? I, it's just hard for me to pray. I've been dealing with something, lost a loved one. And I come to church, and I, I come to church often. But I struggle with praying. See, God wants to minister to us in the evening time of our lives. He wants to minister to us. Look at verse 24. It says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now the disciples are in a storm. They're in the midst of a storm. You have to understand, these disciples were experienced fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the backs of their hands. But storms will occur suddenly on the Sea of Galilee. You will have the cold air coming from the mountains. And they will meet up with the warm air over the Sea of Galilee and storms will occur just like that. See, this is why being a person of prayer in, in verse 23 is so critical because spiritually storms can occur suddenly in our lives. And it's only when we are people of prayer that we're able, able to navigate through these storms. Oh, it could be. It could be the reason why we get wiped out by storms is because we're not people of prayer. We don't spend the proper time in prayer because we're just too busy. Oh, we, if I told you I had the telephone number of someone very famous, you'd be like, let me see this and call him up right now. Call him up. And I called him up and said, oh, Mr. Sorrento, this is, this is your boy, Tony Clark. Just want to let you know, these people know that I have your number. We have the creator of the universe's number. And we barely use it. Barely. Oh, can I say something else? Or we use it like we use a spare tire. You say, what do you mean? When you're in your car, you're not thinking about your spare tire. Not until you get a flat. Then you're like, oh boy, I hope that spare tire is good. We treat God like a spare tire. We only contact him when we have a flat in life. And we have the creator of the universe's number. And we barely even use it. Look what it says there in verse 25. It says, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. This is so good. The fourth watch of the night is between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m. So this means that the disciples had been in the midst of their storm for 9 to 12 hours. It seems like an eternity. And maybe you're here today and you've been in the midst of your storm for an eternity. 
that one precious lady that I talked with uh, last service, she had lost her daughter. And it was like a year and a half ago. The tears were still flowing. You never get over the loss of a child. So for her, that storm has been going for nine to 12 hours, so to speak. And the Lord is going to come to you in the midst of your storm, just like he came to them. He's coming. You said, well, how can you be so sure? Oh, he, he's, he's coming. I, I already know that because uh, verse 26 says this. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled and cried out, it is a ghost. And they cried out of fear. Jesus is coming to you in the midst of your storm, even if he has to defy the laws of nature and walk on water to get to you. He's going to get to you in the midst of your storm. Oh, he's coming. I want you to notice how Jesus came to them and they cried out, out of fear. They said, it is a ghost. Well, you have to understand the mindset. There was a lot of folklore that was going on uh, that the Jews uh, and the disciples were very familiar with. Uh, there was one story one, that was believed by many people is that when you were a fisherman or you were on the sea and a storm was about to take you out, that there would be a spirit to come to you to deliver to you the final word before you're wiped out. Basically, you're done. You're wiped out and, and, and you, you will be killed, that a spirit will come to you. They're very familiar with this folklore and therefore they are responding out of that. There was another story that said that a demonic spirit will come to you in the midst of storms to scare you, to terrorize you. And they were very familiar with that particular story as well. And this is why they cried out out of fear, say, it is a ghost, because they believed the stories of the day. So the, the amazing thing about it is that what I see here is because so often we can miss Jesus in the midst of our storm. Here it is. Jesus is walking on the water to come to the disciples and they freak out and think he's a ghost. Someone to come and scare them. Someone to come to terrorize them. Mary Watch this, Mary, with sorrow of heart, she almost missed Jesus too. You remember at the tomb? She thought he was the gardener. See, so often we can miss Jesus because we miss the people he sends to us. Watch this, in 2 Corinthians 7, 6, it says, it is God who comforts the downcast, and he comforted us by the coming of Titus. Watch this. Who comforts the downcast? God. Who did he use? Titus. God uses people. And so often we miss God coming to us because we dismiss the people he sends to us. See, here's the thing we, we have to see. We're in the midst of our storms. We're crying out, oh, God, please come to me in my storm like you came to the disciples. All of a sudden, bzz, bzz, our phones are blowing up, and we look, oh, I ain't getting that. I ain't getting that. 
God, I'm in the midst of a storm. Please come and save me. Ding dong. We looked at people. I ain't, I ain't getting that. Kids, be quiet. Shh, shh. I, I, I saw those curtains move. Get back from the curtains. We dismiss the people God sends to us because we think that there are ghosts, someone to come and scare us. Or we think that there's someone coming, like a gardener, a co-worker, someone who works for us. And we're like, surely, God, that, that couldn't be the Lord. And here the disciples, they almost missed the Lord coming to them. Look what he said there in verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. I love this, how Jesus comes to us when we're afraid and he comforts us by saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. We learn from verse 22 that God sent them. It was Jesus who sent them into the storm. Oh, it's an old saying, but it's true. And watch how you, many of you know it. If God sent you to it, he's going to bring you, oh, you know it. If he brought you to the storm, he's going to bring you through it. And we see it here in these particular verses. Oh, David understood this. In Psalm 23 and verse 4, David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Or if you, O King James, thou art with me. It's amazing because so often this is read at almost every, every funeral. David didn't say, Yea, though, though I walk through the valley of death. He said, I walk through the shadow. I'm not in death, I'm in the shadow of it. That time when you feel like giving up, that time when you feel like quitting, that time when you feel like giving up on life. And there are many of you here who've been thinking about suicide lately. You're in the shadow of death. I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you. He has a plan for your life. And Satan wants to do his job on you, which is steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. He wants to give you abundant life. Satan wants to wipe you out because God has a plan for your life. And if you're not here, you can't carry it out. And so you're in the midst of the shadow of death. And just like David, God is with you. Oh, I'm reminded of the verse. The, the Lord said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the Greek language, it's more emphatic. It says, I will never, no, never, no, never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, the Lord is with you. Just like he was with David. Oh, I love this. And look at verses 28 and 29. It says, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, oh, okay, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, notice what Peter said, if it is you. If, Peter, you about to get out of the boat and call yourself walking on the water, you saying, if it is you? No, I would have made sure it was Jesus before I stepped out of that boat. Notice how Peter said, command me to come out on the water, because he understood that whatever Jesus commanded him to do, no matter how impossible it seems, he's going to be able to do it. 
Oh, the word command is an amazing Greek word, keluo. So it's a word that uh, means to command or to give an order. It was a military word, me, and be, me being a former Marine. I understood this is a military word. It's a, it's a word that came down from a commanding officer to his troops. He says, command me to come out on the water. Can you still obey the Lord? If what he is asking you to do seems to be impossible. I mean, think about it. Jesus told Peter to come. Can you still obey if what he's asking you to do seems to be impossible? Can you still obey if he tells you to move out from that person you're living with and you're not married to them? Can you still obey if he's saying, leave that job that you're making good money, but they have you ask, they're asking you to do unethical things? And you know they are. And every day you have to go home and repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry for cheating these people and being dishonest. And the Lord has been asking you to leave and you, you're pretending that and you, you're like, that, that couldn't be the Lord. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Can you still obey the Lord if what he's asking you to do seems to be impossible? Can you let that child go when you know they're out there and you, nine out of ten, you, mother, you're an enabler. You keep sneaking them money, sneaking them things to do. Notice in the story of the prodigal son that the father let the boy go. We don't read anything about the mother because fathers know how to let their children hit rock bottom so they can look up and see God. Oh, I didn't say this in the other two services. Somebody needs to hear this today. You're an enabler. It's you that's keeping them from hitting rock bottom and for God doing the work he needs to do in them because you're an enabler. Not only mother, but grandmother. You're an enabler. God wants them to hit rock bottom so he can get to them. But you keep sneaking them stuff. And keep enabling them in their addiction. You keep enabling them in their disobedience to God. You keep enabling them. Oh, somebody needs to hear this. God is speaking to somebody today. God wants them to hit rock bottom, but you keeping that from happening. And they come with the sob tear. That's why whenever ring, 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 where's mom? Dad answers the phone, where's mom? And, and then he gives it over to you, the enabler. Oh, God is speaking to some people. The Lord loves you, but you're an enabler. You're keeping them from hitting rock bottom. Oh, I don't know who it is that God is speaking to right now, but he is. And so we see here that Peter is asked or invited to come on out. Let's see what happens here. Look at verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. 
I, I, okay, catch the scene. Catch the scene. Here's Peter. Lord, if that's you, bid me to come out on the water. Jesus is like, okay, come on. And, and so Peter gets up. You, you can see him. He gets up out of the boat. And so he's looking at Jesus. And he's like, you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, come on. And, 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 and then all of a sudden he, he climbs out. He's climbing out. Hold the boat still. And I'm sure he's, he's looking at Jesus. He's like, okay. Okay, I, I got to stay in front of the mic. Okay, okay. And he's walking towards Jesus. Then all of a sudden right here, it says, when he saw that the winds and the waves were boisterous, he started to sink. It doesn't say he took his eyes off of Jesus, but it is strongly implied. Because if you're looking at Jesus... And all of a sudden, you're looking at the winds and the waves. You took your eyes off of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The word looking there in the Greek language is an amazing word. It means to fix one's eyes upon. It means to look, to gaze upon and gaze upon no one or nothing else. It's an amazing word. So he no longer was looking at Jesus. He was looking at the winds and the waves. Oh, there's some of you here that's looking at the winds and the waves. You're looking at your storm. You've taken your eyes off of Jesus, and no wonder you're sinking. You're sinking in despair. You're sinking in depression. You're sinking in hopelessness. No wonder you're sinking because your eyes are off of Jesus. It's on your storm. It's on the winds and the waves all around you. You can't look at the winds and the waves and look at Jesus, too. You can't do both. If you're looking at Jesus, you're not looking at the winds and the waves and you find yourself walking on the water of your storm. But if you're looking at the winds and the waves, you're sinking. Some of you are sinking here. You've been sinking in despair and hopelessness and depression. And you're wondering why. It's because you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. That's why. And that's what's been going on in your life. Oh, let's see what happened. Look at verse 31. It says, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you a little faith. Why did you doubt? I don't know about you. I, I want you to, I want to draw to your attention the word Immediately. I don't know about you, but I would have allowed Peter to suck a few gallons of water first. <laughs> and, and it would have been, what, what, I'd teach you to doubt me. You won't doubt again, now would you? <laughs> we thank God I'm not, I'm not the Lord. You know, it says immediately. Immediately. He caught him. And watch this. And then lovingly rebuked him and said, why did you doubt? And that's what the Lord is asking you today. Why are you doubting? Did I lose some power? Am I not still the God of the universe? Have I lost a step like an athlete? Have I I lost a step over the years? Why are you doubting? Somebody needs to hear this today. Why are you doubting? 
Is it that I can't do the impossible anymore? Like it says two times in, in the Old Testament, once in Genesis and once in Jeremiah, is there anything too hard for me? It's a rhetorical question. I mean, no, there's nothing too hard for him. And let's see what else happened. All right, let me just say this. I, I don't want to stand up here like I've had it all together because I've doubted in my life. I've doubted the plan of God, the will of God for my life. In the midst of the storm that I was going through, I doubt it. I doubt it. We all go through it. That doesn't mean Jesus is still not going to lovingly rebuke us. We've all gone through this. Look what it says in verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Let me just pick up verse 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. See, this is the way you go through a storm. Jesus gets into the boat, the storm sees. And all of a sudden, it says that they worship him. See, that's how you come through a storm is in worship. The only way you're going to come through the storm and worship if you're in the boat. You remember what Paul told some, some people going through um, a storm in Acts 27, verse 31. He says, unless they stay in the boat, they cannot be saved. Are you in the boat today? What about the boat of salvation? Are you in the boat of salvation today? The only way you're going to be saved is if you're in the boat. And the only way you know how you're coming through a storm or whether you're coming through it bitter or you're coming through it in worship. When I was going through my storm, I didn't come through it. I was not coming through it well. I was starting to notice some anger and bitterness. I couldn't stand up in the pulpit and, and give my side of the story because that was looked at as being uh, of me justifying myself. So I had to be quiet. I couldn't say a word. That was so hard, so difficult, as, as everyone is just getting one side of the story. And I had to just stand there and just... And what happened? You know what started to happen? The anger and bitterness that I was pushing down, it started to ooze through my pores and it was starting to ooze through my teaching. And I was starting to be an angry elf. I was starting to, I was starting to be angry. And I tried to play it off. No, I'm not angry. I'm not, I'm not angry. Yeah, you are. You're angry. You're angry. And I wasn't coming through it well. And God had to minister to me. He had to get me to a garden of Gethsemane where he had to break me of my will and my way. It's an amazing thing what the Lord had to do. And when he broke me and I began to see really that the storm I was in was a storm of correction. And I knew it. I just didn't want to admit it, but I knew it. But God had to break me. He's breaking some of you right now. He loves you, but he has to break that stubbornness out of you. For those of you who are my age and older, which is the majority of us in here, we remember where we, you know, our parents got that belt out of that, that spoon or that whatever, extension cord, 
the back of the hand, shoe. You know, well, I, I mean, when, 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 you know, my parents, when they say, oh, I'm going to knock you in the middle of next week, I, 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 it was Wednesday. I woke up next Wednesday. It was that stubbornness that they they were just breaking breaking out of me. And so to us spiritually, so often we're stubborn. We're going to determine our will, and God has to take us to Gethsemane. And we come out like, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. He has to break us. Some of you, he's breaking. He loves you. He just got to break that way about you. It's that It's that way. I'm my own man. I'm the man. Okay. You be the man. God knows how to, God knows the way to Gethsemane. He knows how to take you there. And he'll break that stubbornness out of you. Not because he's mad at you or angry. No, he, he loves you. He wants you to be more like Jesus. And that's why he does these things. Let me, let me, let me wrap it up with this. You're here today, and many of you are going through a storm. It's either a storm of correction or a storm of protection. And there are some things, some habits, some habits, men, some some porn habits, that God will bring a storm because it's killing us spiritually as men and he'll break that right out of us so he has sent a storm of correction and protection to get that out of our lives ladies there are relationships you're involved in you know that man is not saved you know it you're constantly begging him to come to church let me tell you a truly saved man of God you don't have to beg him to come to church he'd be picking you up and saying be ready at this time and we're going to be at church at this time that's a true man of God And even though church started at 8 or church started at 11.45 or whatever, he'll tell you 11 o'clock because he knows you're going to be late anyway. So he'll tell you 11 because he's going to get there on time. We don't like to be late. you fooling around. We don't like to be late. So he'll tell you a different time. But here's the thing. God will bring a storm to blow those people out of your life. That's why he broke up with you. There was another lady I was praying with. She knew that God wasn't saved. She knew it. And she said, you're right. The Lord blew him out of my life. And just pray that I don't go back. I said, I got you. I got you. Pray with her right there. God knows. This is why I prayed that the secrets of your heart will be revealed so you can know God is in this place. God is revealing things that you know there's no way I could know. But God knows. Because he loves you. And finally, there's some, some of you here that you need to truly repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to believe that Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again. And watch this. He brings his spirit inside of you. You know how you know whether the prayer you pray or the prayer you're going to pray took? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make us holy. If your life isn't holy, it didn't take. 
The purpose of the Spirit of God is to make us holy, make us like him. If your life is still the same and you just sprinkled a little Jesus in your life, I want to have a little Jesus in my life. Hey, let me tell you something. You can't have a little Jesus in your life. Many of you watch this. Many of you want Jesus as Savior, but you don't want him as Lord. Yeah, I want, I want, I want a little fire insurance from that hell place. But I don't want him to be the Lord over my life where he tells me what to do on a daily basis. When Jesus comes, notice Jesus is called our Lord and Savior. The conjunction and connects the Lord and Savior together. Some of you need to do some business with God. And there's going to be some people up front available to pray with you about these things. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this tremendous time to share your word with your people. God, I just pray that the word of God that will not return void is going to accomplish that which it was sent out to do. Do a work, Lord, we pray in the hearts and minds of your people here. Do a work in them, Lord, that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tony Clark. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Tony's teaching ministry by visiting calvarynn.org.